Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Kuehl Show. I am your host today, the insider of the insiders, Tyler Kuehl, and wow, it's only been a few days, but we have a lot to talk about here on this special edition of The Kuehl Show, quick shift edition here on TKS. But before we get too far into the show, make sure you get involved with today's episode, whether you're watching us here on 12 Ounce Sports, whether it be on YouTube, whether it be on the good old, you know, Twitter, you may be on Periscope, Facebook, Zingo TV. Apparently we're on that again. I was, I was told we're on that Zingo TV. Make sure you get on there. Sign up for free using the promo code 12 ounce, 12 O Z Z if you're north of the border or really any other country and make sure you check that out and go on channel 761 because that's how you can watch us on your big screen because why wouldn't you want to watch me on the big screen? I mean, look at this pretty face. I mean, I had to pop a couple of zits this morning, but hey, we're looking good today for this episode of TKS, all sorts of playoff action we will get to later on in this episode, but we must thank our sponsors for today's show. Of course, mybookie.com right down here in the corner. They will be able to help you make big money on betting on sports, mybookie.com. Make sure you go on there. Use the promo code 12OUNCESPORTS and join for free today. Bet on all sports, win and get paid. Look at all the sports we got going. We got baseball for now, basketball, the football, NFL is coming up. College football apparently is going to have a season, at least Division One, according to the Big Ten, the ACC. Not for some of us that work in the GLIAC, but I digress. So go on there, mybookie.com. Win some cash playing or well, watching sports, I guess, for that matter. Second string leather company, of course. If you saw us on Monday, I was wearing one of their new pieces of swag and checking out this awesome crafted from the crease. Look at this thing. Look at it. Oh, yeah. Look at that shirt. It looks like Fisherman Jack, but it's Fisherman Jack the goaltender. Fisherman goaltender? Nah, I don't know. I should have came up with something better than that. But. Go on secondstringleather.com. Check out their new apparel line that they got going on there. I got the cool swag. You should get the cool swag, too. So you're geared up for the Cool Show, which has so much to talk about here today. Here on hashtag TKS at the Cool Show Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Make sure you get involved by jumping in those comments. Jump on in the chat and let us know what you think about all that we're going to talk about today because we have a lot to talk about here in this one-hour episode of TKS. We got all sorts of hockey going right now. Of course, right now, Philadelphia playing Washington. They're just starting the third period in their round-robin game in the Eastern Conference. We'll recap that game along with other round-robin action in the East and West. And, of course, we'll talk about some of the games that already happened earlier on today. Obviously, the Eastern Conference, Carolina moves on. The first team to make it out of the qualifying round, sweeping the New York Rangers. And we'll also talk about an update on Jake Muzzin when we were regarding to the Toronto Columbus series, which we'll preview because that game three is tonight, actually eight o'clock. So an hour after this show wraps up, yeah, it'll be a good another hockey game, which is why I'm repping the LFR shirt tonight. Shout out to my boy, Steve Dangle, friend of the show, first ever guest on the Kula show way back in the summer of 2018, just about a week before John Tavares signed with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Go figure, right? And we'll also talk about how the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Edmonton Oilers, the favorites, the unquestionable favorites, are on the brink of elimination in the qualifying round. All sorts of good stuff here to talk about here on this quick shift edition of the Kuehl Show. But we're going to start off with the game that just finished not too long ago, about less than an hour ago now that I mentioned it, over in Edmonton. Vancouver getting a big win 
over the Minnesota Wild in game three of the series. And I love you too, Kelly. Have a good day at work. You, she, you can't see her. She's off to the side. She just opened the door. I uh, don't think so. You, you have to go to work. You go to work. I only have an hour on the show. Oh, this is Kelly, everybody. This is the wife. She's in her scrubs and everything. She can't. Yeah, she's just here to say she loves me. Oh, she, okay. She had to give me a kiss. All right. Yes, bye, Kelly. You'll see her whenever someone gets injured. Hey, we have, we have there's an injury. We got to talk about. We'll, we'll talk about Muzzins on Monday. If you Muzzins on Monday. We'll definitely talk about that because she actually knows the sort of thing because she studied anatomy and, well, she watched it as well. Yeah, there's that as well. You can't hear her. She's just yelling in my ear right now. Wasting my time. I only got 55 more minutes. Ah! Anyways, back to Vancouver, Minnesota. They win 3-0. Vancouver now takes a 2-1 series lead. Let's quickly jump back to game two, which happened a couple of nights ago. Vancouver gets the 4-3 win after Alex Stalock shut the door on the Canucks in game one. He came out with a decent performance in game two. Stalock, 24 saves. But Jacob Markstrom, once again, was outstanding. 32 saves in his first postseason win, his first postseason win in pro hockey since he played with the Utica Comets. Now, granted, yes, this is his first NHL postseason experience, and it's a good thing for him to get the win. Tanner Pearson scored just 24 seconds in on a very fluky goal. JT Miller, Brock Besser, and Bo Horvat reeled off three in a row for the Vancouver Canucks, leading to the win. Minnesota made a little interesting, though. Kevin Fiala scoring twice in the dying minutes of the game to make the score respectable. And he carried that little bit of fierce and a little bit of tenacity into game three, which was honestly a, it was a great way to start this day for hockey. It was a two thirty start. Nice afternoon. I played golf this morning with my father-in-law beat the heck out of him. I mean, we played a pretty short course, and my drive finally got going in the last half of the nine hole. Still hit 10 over, though, but that's what we call a normal round here in the Kuehl household. Vancouver wins 3-0 today, and it just started off with just banging bodies almost immediately. I believe there were 60 hits in the game, or at least close to that. Alex Stalock getting bowled over in the first period by Antoine Roussel. He ended up being a guy that played a real key role in this game. And, of course, we talked about how much hitting there was. Even guys hitting their own teammates, Ryan Hartman. Well, we'll get to the other hit here in a second, but Hartman trying to hit, I believe he was trying to hit, was it not Bo Horvat or Elias Petter? It was maybe Bo Horvat in the first, no, excuse me, Jay Beagle. He was trying to hit Jay Beagle behind his own net, ends up catching Carson Susie, knocked Susie out of the game temporarily, ended up coming back later. But there were 33 combined hits in the first period. 33 hits. Guys, this was not a cakewalk. This game was not going to be for the faint of heart and ended up going into later on in the game, Ryan Hartman running Elias Pedersen from behind. Now that hit, because we're going to get to a hit regarding this Philadelphia Washington game in a second has to do with the number 43. In case you guys are wondering, just saying that hit could have been a lot more dangerous because Elias Pedersen was in such a very odd, precarious position. He was kind of down and his head was like, he was looked like he was, if you're a yoga person like myself and a standing forward fold where his head was towards the ground, towards the ice, excuse me. And coming from behind his Hartman, no regard because he just sees the body. and is like, I'm going to blow him through the boards, puts him into the boards and is almost shocked that JT Miller stepped up to him and dropped the gloves. And Hartman got just really mad at him for trying to fight him, which you hit someone star player. Yeah. I'd be a little bit mad. 
Now, this, of course, Ryan Hartman kind of took exception because Elias Pedersen pulled off a reverse check, a Pavel Datsuk special on Hartman earlier in the shift. That's where you got to keep your emotions in check in a series like this. You can't be running through guys. You can't be getting trying to look for, you know, evening out, you know, the, the individual score, if you will, because it's going to hurt you. Hartman got a penalty. The Canucks were not able to score on that power play, but you got to keep your emotions in check. Now, later on, though, in that second period, Brock Besser battling hard in front. The sniper, Brock Besser, the guy that's actually in front of the net, in front of Alex Stalock on the power play, gets knocked down, but is able to get up, find a rebound, backhand one around Alexander Stalock to give the Canucks the one nothing lead. And then right after that, it just seemed like Minnesota, they kept getting power play after power play. Each team got seven power plays, excuse me, in this game. However, Minnesota... Gosh, with some of the guys I have on that power play, Eric Stahl, and you have Dumba at the point who can really shoot the puck, Kevin Fiala, who was just firing everything towards the goal, 0 for 7 on the power play. They were 0 for 6 in game 2, 0 for 13 in the last three period or six periods, excuse me, of hockey. That is, uh, I'm not going to say unacceptable, but they need to figure that out if they want to stay alive. Because the penalties started to really ramp up in the second half of the game. The refs finally realized, hey, this game's getting a little out of hand here. We have goaltenders getting ran over. We have Kevin Fiala trying to jump Jacob Markstrom and then getting absolutely blasted by Brandon Sutter. I'm not sure how Sutter just didn't get a penalty on that, but hey, they evened him out somehow and Vancouver ended up getting a power play. But there was no question that there will be some tough love. There will be no love lost going into game four tomorrow night, 10.45 Eastern Standard Time, 8.45 Mountain Time, local time there in Edmonton for that start. But, I mean, you got to look at the fact that 0 for 7 on the power play for Minnesota, but it's not because of their falter. Vancouver was outstanding defensively on the penalty kill. Christopher Tanev Holy cow, it looked like he was doing the Tim Tebow trying to block every single shot and get in the way. Of course, Markstrom, 27 save shutout, first ever NHL career shutout for him, at least in the postseason. Great job by Markstrom. 22 block shots in total by the Vancouver Canucks. Now, I'll be 100% honest with everyone here. I don't believe that's actually correct. And But you're saying, but Tyler, 22 is a lot. Yeah. I thought there were more. Maybe they're only counting 22 on the penalty kill, maybe, because it just seemed like every time a shot came from the point, because Minnesota, they do have that Nashville style where they like to bring it up to the point, run the umbrella, bomb it from the tops of the circles and from the point. Yes, is that old hat? Absolutely, but it's worked at times. You throw it towards the goal, you hopefully get a rebound, get a tip, get a goal that way. But... When you have guys like Vancouver, and you could hear it, that's the best part about having an empty arena, is that you can hear the guys on the bench, the teammates of the Canucks, all the guys that are watching their mates out there, the four guys, the three guys, how many are ever out there on the penalty kill, they are banging their sticks on the boards every single time those guys put it out there. That is the effort you need in the playoffs. That's what's going to win you rounds. That's what's going to make you able to make a run deep into this postseason. I don't know how far Vancouver is going to get. If they make it into the first round of the playoffs, I don't know if they can make it into round two. However, the fact that they're willing to show that they're going, willing to go the extra mile in order to get, at least to win a game at a time, that definitely shows a lot for this Vancouver franchise who has been really looking for a winning team for, 
I know it's only been half a decade, but it's been seeming like forever with all this young talent they have now. You have a good goaltender in Markstrom, young talent, of course, Elias Pettersson getting a goal in the third period, assisted from Quinn Hughes, which ended up being the dagger. Antoine Roussel, man, that play in itself, Antoine Roussel's second goal, the second goal for the Canucks in this game, it was just a weird play because Erickson Eck had such a great chance before, but he was tied up. And he, I, you know, when I was a kid, when I was doing instructional hockey, when I was so young and I just learned to play and whatever, whenever we would take on the instructors, the coaches, the coaches would flip their sticks upside down and play with their butt in. So they gave us a chance. Erickson Eck all of a sudden thought he was a learn to play coach and had his stick upside down and tried to swing at it like he was trying to play broom ball. Poor guy didn't even have a chance to get the puck on net. And then eventually in that same shift, Roussel goes on a breakaway and scores. You, say, you hate to see, but it happens all the time in hockey. Great chance at one end, missed. Team goes down the other end and scores. That's how the game goes. Now, what's Minnesota going to have to do? A, score on the power play if you get a chance. Holy smokes, figure it out. I mean, Dean Evison's got to look at the guys say, either we have to figure out a different way to run the power play or just bury it. I mean, credit where credit is due. Markstrom played well. And how about that save by Alexander Stalock by Minnesota trying to keep him in the game, that amazing diving save. I mean, what more can you do for Alexander Stalock? I don't, I don't blame him on any of the goals that he gave up. I don't think you can really look at any of the goals, with the exception of Markstrom's in game one that led to the loss. I don't think you can blame either goaltender for any of the goals in this series. It has been a tough series to be a part of, and whoever's going to make it out is going to have some scars with them. Heck, Antoine Roussel's got a black eye. That was a, that's a, that's going to be a screen grab and definitely someone's cover photo for a long time of him scoring a goal with his left eye looking like it just been punched. Then again, yes, it was because he got hit in the face with a puck. Anyways, game four tomorrow night, 1045 Eastern time. Hopefully they have all that game NBC. I'm just calling you, just letting you know. The next series, Preds and Yotes. Coyotes lead the series 2-1 to one after winning Game 3 yesterday. Preds win Game 2. UC Saros played pretty well. They made well over 30 saves. Callie Yarncroft scoring with Nick Benino, Ryan Johansson getting three of the five goals with Victor Arvidsson, an absolute bomb in the third period in that game. Clayton Keller and Lawson Krause scoring for Arizona. Now, I was... and there I, I didn't quite get the the full story on this because Darcy Kemper was having a rough game in game two. And then all of a sudden was it halfway through the game. The Arizona Coyotes came out and said, anti-ranta unfit to play. What now? I mean, like all of a sudden, so all of a sudden Aiden Hill had to run downstairs, get his gear prepped just in case he had to go in. I mean, that's just kind of a weird, I guess he took a shot in warmups off the noggin and, I, it looked like he was fine, but I guess halfway through, I guess they, I presume he had to have like some like a headache or some concussion-like symptoms. So I knock on wood, not hopefully it's not a concussion. But obviously, it didn't affect the Coyotes in Game Three. Played much better. They came ready to play in Game Three yesterday. You have Dvorak, Christian Dvorak, getting a nice tip from a Jalmerson shot. Connor Garland, how about that goal, eh? Nick, and of course you have Derek Stepan, who is an underrated playmaker has always been underrated whether it was when he was in Buffalo whether it was when he was with the Rangers he was always a guy that could really create some plays by the way Philadelphia just scored making it three nothing in that game a little over less than halfway through the third period but the play by Connor Garland to absolutely just drag it around the defense and get a shot by Saros like that just a great play I mean that kid I mean we talked to Louis Pinot a couple times 
during this past season and before the playoffs. Just a guy that's been so consistent and an excellent young piece of this Coyotes team and a guy that they're looking at as a possible real big future for this hockey club. Obviously, the whole saga with Taylor Hall is still up in the air, but there is obviously room for a guy like Connor Garland if he can continue to produce at this rate. And you have Taylor Hall with a nice power play goal. Carl Soderberg gets the empty net goal. Victor Arverson scores again with another slap shot. So apparently, game four tomorrow afternoon, just don't let Arvidsson walk down the wing. He just wind one up at Darcy Kemper. Kemper, though, was absolutely outstanding that game though yesterday. 39 stops out of 40 shots that he faced. Looked calm, looked confident, a lot better than he was in game two. And obviously, it'll probably be him going in game four. Is it time, though, for Pecorine to go in net for the Nashville Predators? Now, I'm not going to blame Washington just scored, by the way. I have the game on right here just so I can kind of keep you folks updated at home if you're watching this instead of watching the Arizona or the Arizona, the Washington Capitals and Philadelphia Flyers. I don't know if, I mean, listen, UC Saros had a good game too, but game one early on, those three goals in the first period, came strong back the rest of that game one. In game three yesterday, three goals on 27 shots. I'm not blaming him for those goals, but you need to have something. You got to have a little bit of kick in the rear if you are John Hines, the National Predators. And Rene, he's, he's got veteran experience and sometimes throwing in a goaltender. We talked with Scott Esposito, throwing in a guy other than Lundqvist, you know, it kind of helped the Rangers. They got a little bit going in that game. We'll get to that later on in the second half of today's show. But it helped a little bit. So maybe getting Rene in there, having the confidence and an experience and veteran goaltender, a guy that literally took them to the Stanley Cup Finals a few years back. Granted, yes, that was three years ago. Is Rene the same? I don't know. But I like the idea that Pecorino can come in and steal you a game and force a game five. That's what the Preds need right now. They need a goaltender that can step up, make big saves. Do they need more from the offense? Yes. But as we see, when Arizona can just handle the puck the entire game or the majority of it, when they need to, they can win. And Kemper was phenomenal. And you're going to need a goaltender that can go save for save with Darcy Kemper. I'll be honest with you. If you are a kind of a not committed NHL fan, you think, wait, save for save with who? Listen, Darcy Kemper, had he not, had he been playing in the Eastern seaboard, I think he would have gotten a lot more recognition this season than he did as he's playing in Arizona. Yes, that's East Coast bias sounding, but it's true though, guys. Let's be honest. I know the win-loss record doesn't quite translate, but he's been outstanding this entire year. He gets hurt, doesn't have too many good starts before the pause, comes back healthy, and look where he's at. He's one win away from getting the Arizona Coyotes to the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. So what is Nashville going to do? Obviously, find a way to beat Kemper, but they're going to need a few more saves. I'd say go with Rene. I'm not John Hines, though. I still have hair for now. I mean, I've seen my dad's hairline. That's going to probably go. So eventually I will go bald, but I'm not John Hines. It's his decision. And, you know, for a guy that's an interim head coach just to finish out the year, you know, I mean, if you want to try to save your job, try to do something that'll give your team the best chance to win. So my perspective, go with the veteran, Pecorine. So the final two series we'll talk about, we'll get to the... Jets flames because that'll be second because simply because of the fact that, well, that's the game we're going to preview for tonight because they play at 1030, 1045, excuse me, Eastern standard time, the Chicago Blackhawks and the Edmonton Oilers. 
boy, let me tell you, I have never thought, like I was more confident in Montreal winning a game than I did Chicago against Edmonton. I just thought Connor McDavid was playing too well. I just thought Leon Dreisaitl was having such a great year. And no matter who you put in goal, who cares? They were going to make enough saves to win the hockey game. Well, that happened in game two. Connor McDavid gets a hat trick. You have another goal. from a, You have a couple more guys put pucks in the back of the net. Miko Koskinen has a decent start. Chicago did make it interesting with goals from Patrick Kane, Olimata, and Slater Cuckoo, excuse me, Cuckoo, as I learned from Pat Foley. But Oilers were able to get the win. They go to game three. It just looked like Chicago was hungrier. It looked like Edmonton just kind of forgot that they have this star power. I get it, guys. I keep making the comparison. Edmonton, Toronto, the hub cities, they are the exact same team. So much talent. Above average goaltending, for the most part. But an inability to be consistent. Olimata gets the first goal of the game. She gets a shot through traffic. Good shot. Leon Dreisettle answers back after a great forecheck by Yamamoto and Tyler Ennis. By the way, we'll get to the Tyler Ennis here in a second. A fluky goal from John t- by Jonathan Taves towards the end of the first period on the power play. One that just kind of bounced off his foot and just slowly... Eh, like, if you were throwing a curling stone, you couldn't sweep fast enough to get that thing in the net. Somehow it gets across the line underneath the paddle of Miko Koskinen. Dreisaitl did tie it up in the second period, followed by a goal by Connor McDavid on the power play. Power play still looking good for the Edmonton Oilers. But then in the dying minutes, the Chicago Blackhawks decide, you know what? Let's win this thing. Technically, because they were the home team, they got the national anthem and everything, the recorded, of course, which obviously they weren't able to do all the cheering because, well, no fans in the crowd, but still, it's something. Matthew Highmore, his first ever postseason goal, a nice tip from a cuckoo shot from the point, ties it up. I think it was over five minutes left, and I think that put the seed of doubt in the Oilers, and they just were not able to recover. Chicago got so many great chances towards the end. You have a tip there by Jonathan Taves with just over a minute left, his fourth goal of the series. Guys, Captain Sirius is Captain Fire right now for the Chicago Blackhawks. I get it. Connor McDavid is leading the playoff, the qualifying round in goals right now, but Jonathan Taves is just staying stride for stride with Connor McDavid, which says a lot because Connor McDavid is the fastest player in the game. But, man, what do you do if you're Edmonton? You play tomorrow night, 8.45 puck drop, 6.45 local time. I mean, it's not like Crawford's playing well. I mean, he is playing well, but he's not standing on his head. He's not stealing games like Darcy Kemper. He's not stealing games like Carey Price. He's just playing well, except the Oilers are just giving the Hawks these opportunities. They're falling asleep in games. They're game to win. They were up by a good margin in the second period, but the Hawks were able to storm back. The Oilers had to recover to win that game. They need to figure it out and figure it out fast, or else guess what? When we talk on the show on Monday, we're going to be talking about how Edmonton Oilers have a chance to win the draft lottery. Mother of Teresa, that is a possibility. I don't know. Do you stick with Koskinen for game four? Do you go back with Mike Smith? I mean, Koskinen's made some saves, but so did Mike Smith. I don't know what you do. If I'm Dave Tippett, I just flip a quarter and say, all right, tails, go ahead, Smith, or heads, go ahead, Koskinen. It won't matter. It won't matter who starts in goal. 
Will the rest of the team in front of them play well? Will they be hungry? Because right now, the Chicago Blackhawks look like they want to win more than the Edmonton Oilers, which is all you need to say if you want to make it far in these playoffs. It is the difference between having a talented hockey club and having a will to win. That's what's going to determine this series. If the Blackhawks come out hungry in game four and want to get the job done, Edmonton's done. Edmonton, the hub city, the hub, the hub host, off the board. They'll be sitting there. Though, I mean, some will go home to their respective countries or whatever. Some will stay in Edmonton and get to watch. Get to watch these other teams play in their barn and kick around and win the Stanley Cup. And they won't even be close because they just didn't want it as bad as the Blackhawks. Boy, a lot of my predictions are looking bad. Quickly here, before we go to break, we'll get to, let's take a look at the Flames and Jets. Flames have a chance tonight to knock out the Winnipeg Jets after winning game three. And what a dominant performance, though, by the Calgary Flames. Connor Hellebuck, 29 saves in the game. I don't... (sighs) There were a couple I think he could have had. You know, I mean, obviously, there's the backland goal where Hellebuck just forgot what he was doing. And, I mean, Lysland, home with a great tip. Sean Monaghan with a goal. Great play by Manji Aponi to get it to Matthew Kachuk. Milan Lucic, after getting a goal negated from him earlier on in the game, he gets a power play goal. Yes, you had goals from Nikolai Ehlers and Andrew Kopp, but man, you talk about guys that really want it. And I just think maybe, at least in in game three the other night, I just think the Jets, you're starting to see what happens when you don't have your star players. Line and Shifley still didn't skate today. They're probably still out of the lineup. I mean, yeah, Tucker Pullman have to block a shot with his face. Derek Forbert also doing that for the Calgary Flames. Matthew Perot had to leave the game briefly after being hit by Sean Monaghan. I, you know, I'm not saying the Jets are done, but boy, are they going to need a one, no pun intended, Hellebuck of a performance from Connor Hellebuck. See what I did there? I didn't actually say H-E double hockey sticks, but I said, okay, you know what I mean? He's going to have to play outstanding. He's going to not have to get caught with his back turned to the play, Hopefully. I mean, it's just going to have to be a great effort. I don't know if the Jets have enough left in the tank. I think the Flames get the job done tonight. Cam Talbot, solid game, 30-32 that he stopped on, I believe it was now Tuesday night? Tuesday night? I'm trying to think. Yes, Tuesday. Yeah, it was Tuesday night because the wife and I went to a local establishment to watch the games. I just think that the, the Flames are just... I think after that game two after the kind of the embarrassing loss of losing to a, a injury riddled jets team, they were able to say, I'm like, let's get the job done. And I think they will get it done tonight to move on into the Stanley cup playoffs. Quick little run through here of the round Robin recap for a couple of games that happened here today, or at least recently in the Western conference, Vegas beating Dallas. That was actually on Tuesday during the show that we were, that I was doing or on Monday, excuse Monday, Monday, Tuesday, what day? Monday. Vegas beats Dallas in a wild game. Dallas scored three in a row, then four unanswered by the Knights in the third period. Goaltending was atrocious, but Vegas gets the win. Colorado beats Dallas 4 nothing, And man, Colorado's looking pretty good, guys. They smacked around the Stars. They smacked around the Blues. Colorado's a team now, guys, that I think I'd say are a favorite. I mean, if they weren't a favorite before, I think this is a team now that 
at least going up against the other good teams in the conference in the round robin, they are really showing how good they are. Pavel Francouz, how about that? 27 save shutout for the rookie. The wrong-handed catching goaltender, but he makes enough of the saves. In about two minutes or less than two minutes now, we're going to have the start of the St. Louis Blues and Vegas Golden Knights. Knights right now, the only other team with a win in round robin action. Blues and Stars each have zero points. Colorado has two wins in their bank. They only have one more game left, and that will be against the Vegas Golden Knights. And I believe that game will be taking place on, I think, Saturday or Sunday. And let me look at this quick schedule here. Run around, run around. Do, 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 do. They play August the 8th. Yes, they do play on Saturday. That will be one of the TBD games. They haven't determined the times yet for those, but that's okay. As long as we know that they're going to play, right? And we're going to take a quick break here, folks, because when we come back, we will talk about a little bit more of the a little bit more of the Eastern Conference side of things. We only have an hour on this quick shift edition here of TKS. So when we come back, we'll get to all that stuff, including the Pittsburgh Penguins being pushed to the brink and preview the game tonight, which will be at 8 o'clock between the Jackets and the Toronto Maple Leafs. You are watching the Kula Show here on 12 Ounce Sports. And welcome back to the Kula Show, everyone, here on this Thursday, August the 6th. Quick shift edition here at TKS here on 12 Ounce Sports, whether you're watching us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or Zingo TV channel 761. Thank you for joining us here on this special TKS. We talked about the Western Conference in the first half of the show of this one-hour episode. We'll be talking now about the Eastern Conference, and we're going to start off with the first completion of a qualifying round, the Carolina Hurricanes sweeping the New York Rangers. And let me tell you, boys and girls, Oh, I'll eat my crow because, yes, I did I think the Rangers were going to do something crazy and win this series? Yes, when I told Scott Esposito on Monday, I'm like, maybe they have a chance, Scott. And he was like, yeah, I hope so, too. And, boy, we are we both wrong. The Carolina Hurricanes complete the sweep on Tuesday. Igor Shosturkin getting the start for the Rangers in that game, obviously trying to make a change up there. He was fit to play in this one. Wasn't too bad in his first start, 27 saves for the young netminder. However, the Carolina Hurricanes, they were just way too good for the for the Rangers. Excuse me, a 4-1 win for the Hurricanes in Game 3. Warren Fogle, Sebastian Ajo with two more goals in the third period and a goal by Tiro Teravine in the second period, which tied the game because Chris Kreider did open the scoring just 12 seconds into the second period, showing off his speed. The Rangers, you could tell, were really hungry to win that hockey game. They outshot the Rangers, outshot the Canes. I keep getting it mixed up. 14-6 to six in the opening frame. But boy, let me tell you, as a Leaf fan and as a guy who has loved this goaltender for an extremely long time, did you have any idea how much it warmed my heart to see James Reimer put together a game like that? Guys, he had not started a playoff game since May 13th, 2013. And he had not won a playoff game since May 11th, 2013. I, man, I, I, it warmed, it literally warmed my heart because I felt like maybe he was going to start in game three, just because, you know, maybe give Mrazek some, maybe some time off to kind of, you know, just kind of rest up, make sure he's good for the next round. But he was outstanding. 37 saves for good old James Reimer. He got his daughters on, or April tweeting or posting the 
picture on Twitter of the two, his two daughters, Nevaeh and uh, oh gosh, what's his daughter's second daughter's name? His two daughters with daddy 47 sweaters on. They were just so adorable. And he goes out there and puts together a great game, makes a few huge saves. How about that one save where he reaches back with the paddle and knocks it back? Ah, man, that that uh, warms my heart, guys. I love to see James just play well. And the fact that he's on a, such a good team, too, in Carolina, because you know, he spent the last couple of years in Florida, and you know, you maybe thought him and Roberto Luongo, the two veteran goaltenders, were able to put it together. They just couldn't make a save to save their lives, though. So, and that's why maybe James going to Carolina gives him a fresh start. Was really good this season. Remember, we talked with Luke DeCock before these playoffs, and he said how good the tandem has been, including James. And I mean, geez, now you get into a seven-game series. If Mrazek goes out. You have Reimer. It was kind of similar to last season. Curtis McElhenney playing so well for the Canes when Peter Morazic went down. And you could see now that they continue to have a great tandem. Now, yes, is James a little bit less athletic than Curtis McElhenney? 100%. By, by less athletic, I mean less likely to just start flailing around the goal. But James was just phenomenal yesterday. Congratulations to the Canes being the first team to make it out of the qualifying round. And congratulations to the New York Rangers to have a 12.5% chance to draft Alexi Lafreniere. We'll get to the other team here in a second. We already talked about the Oilers possibly losing, but we'll get to another team here in just a little bit. The Islanders and the Panthers. The 7 seed taking on the 10 seed. Islanders win game two after a, another great performance from both Semyon Varlamov and the defense of the New York Islanders, man, they were they were good. Matt Martin, how about that? Matt Martin getting a goal. Good for him. Tough guy, Matt Martin. I thought that guy just, I mean, in the playoffs, you need players like that, depth players that are physical, but can somehow just seem to chime in. I mean, you know, you look at the Red Wing success from the late, or, you know, mid to late 90s. They had the grind line. Kosher, McCarty, Malpe, Draper, those guys were key contributors to the success of the Red Wings and having guys like Matt Martin for the Islanders will be important for them as they make their playoff run. Ryan Pulak absolutely blasts the shot by Sergei Bobrovsky in that game as well with Jordan Eberle. Jordan Eberle scoring clutch goals in a playoff game. Scoring clutch goals in general. Who would have thought? Could never have guessed a guy like Jordan Eberle would score big goals in a game like that. And one of the news noteworthy points from game two, Mike Matheson. Find $2,500 for high-sticking Brock Nelson. Mike Matheson, shockingly enough, after almost getting, almost, well, should have been fined for the hit on Johnny Boychuk in game one, gets sat for game three. Not a bad decision there, Coach Quinville. Maybe you shouldn't have a guy that's just swinging his stick like a buffoon in front of the goal, almost knocking out Brock Nelson. But game three, though, season on the line for Florida, they came to play. A little bit of a slow start for the game, but Eric Hall gained a power play goal, and that's a power play for Florida. Remember last year, the second best power play in the league. I mean, you think with a team that was so so good on special teams, they would have done better. It's just the goaltending was not there, which mentioned with James Reimer and Berlowango. They get a big power play goal, and that's actually Hall's first goal as a Panther. Remember, he was part of the trade that sent Vincent Trocek to Carolina. He played seven games before the pause with the Panthers. Gets a goal. Big game. That, now that's when the game started to pick up. The goal all of a sudden kind of woke the whole the whole arena up. By the whole arena, I mean the two benches and the 12 players on the ice. You know, a little bit of physicality starts up. J.G. Pajot ties the game after a nice play by Anthony Beauvillier to get it to him. But 
And you know what's funny? It really looked like the Islanders were taking over the game and controlling despite Florida outshooting the Islanders by an 11 to 4 margin cuz Florida had such a great start to the period, but the Islanders just shut them down as the period wore on. But then in the third period, holy cow. I mean, did the Florida Heat come up to Edmonton or not Edmonton, Toronto? Because you have Mike Hoffman scoring 41 seconds in on the power play. The hockey gods agreed that there should be a goal in the first minute on a power play. It Statistically, a power play at the beginning of the period is awful. Panthers make it work after a blast by Mike Hoffman. Then Brian Boyle. Brian Boyle. I love... Listen, if there's a guy that you want to cheer for... I mean, there's a lot, obviously, in the playoffs. You got Patty Marlowe. Guys that have won the cup... How do you not like a guy that like Brian Boyle? He's such a fun guy to watch. He's a bus on skates. He scores just over two minutes in. And guess what? That's all Florida needed. They didn't need to score anymore. And my goodness. I mean, Brock Nelson, Brock Nelson scored late in the game to make it a one-goal game. But Florida scored twice in the third period, five total shots in the last 20 minutes. It, honestly, guys, did the Islanders get Islandered in that third period? They didn't need any offense, but Bobrovsky came up big. Ten saves in the third period for Sergei Bobrovsky. I will say this. That Pulak goal in game two, yeah, Bob should have had that one. But what is it about Sergei Bobrovsky that turns him into this playoff clutch goaltender? Has an awful regular season. His worst since, like I said, the 2011-2012 season with the Philadelphia Flyers but comes out and just absolutely gives Florida a chance to win each of these games. Now, game four, yes, tomorrow, that's going to be the noon start time. First game of the day. Can he do it again? I'm not sure. But if Sergei put together another great performance, I am, we may be seeing a five-game series here between the Islanders and Panthers. Now, if Islanders are able to just kind of just bunker down defensively like they did in game one, it may be over, but I think Florida is starting to realize what they can do to break through this Islander team. Now, yes, obviously get on the power play. They got two goals yesterday with the man advantage. That's obviously really important, but if they can start to score five on five, I'm not saying Florida is going to win. I still think the Islanders are going to pull this series out, but I think we may reach the distance with this series because despite Florida being outmatched defensively and obviously right now being out coached for the most part, if Bob can steal another game, we will have an interesting game coming up this weekend. The last two series will obviously kind of in the similar fashion. We'll get to the the game that's going to play be played tonight last, but we're going to talk about the 12 seed leading the five seed. Montreal is up 2-1 on the Pittsburgh Penguins. Now, obviously you see I'm a little bit more joyous about it because why not? Why don't you want Montreal to win? The only team that's 500 a team that does not have more wins and losses in these playoffs, leading the heavily favored Pittsburgh Penguins. Now, I want to text my buddy Thomas Biondo and ask him, what in the world were you thinking, man? Because he's probably just like, I don't know. I don't know what happened. Because how could you have thought going into this series that Montreal would be in it? Now, game two, Pens win 3-1. Crosby finishes. Crosby gets a goal. Jason Zucker gets another insurance marker. I mean, Pittsburgh just outplayed Montreal from start to finish. I mean, Price tried to do the best he could. They were out, they were doubled up in shots through two periods of play. I mean, yes, Barry Kakaniemi tried to make it close, but 
it would have been too little too late. Pittsburgh was just doing too good of a job, and Murray himself, he was making some big saves as well. I mean, I considered him, you know, kind of be a liability for the Penguins heading into the series if he was going to get the starts, but he played really well. He's well enough to get the win in game two. So now we go to game three. Now, who, who would have thought that, first of all, the comeback, I guess you can say by the Habs. First, Shea Weber scores. All right. one nothing. good shape. Shea Weber after three tries at the goal. But then all of a sudden, here come the Penguins. You have a goal by Patrick Hornquist after a great feed by Evgeny Malkin. Fake pass, cross, Hornquist buries it. Zucker scores 59 seconds apart, both goals on the power play. Two for two are the Pens with the man advantage. This team is clicking. Teddy Bluger! Teddy Bluger! Teddy Bluger saves the day, makes it 3-1 early in the second period. And, you know, at this, at this, at that point in the game, I literally said to myself, well, I was right. Carey Price still game one for the Habs, but Penguins are going to win in four. But then something crazy happened. Jake Evans gets knocked out by Brandon Tenev. Dirty hit? Eh. Unfortunate circumstance? Yes. He gets put into the glass. His head hits. He's out. He's not going to play tonight. Or tomorrow night, excuse me. But it seemed to really have lit a fire into the Canadians. They started to pick it back up. They had Jonathan Duran scoring his first playoff goal in four years to make it a one-goal game. Then Paul Byron ties the game at three, and the game's kind of winding down. I'm like, this game may go to overtime. I may have to stay up late tonight. I got to work early in the morning. But next thing you know, Jeff Petrie gets a pass down low, and I don't know what Matt Murray's thinking on this play, but Petrie snipes it. Top corner, bad angle. Mario Lemieux-esque, top corner there. But I got to wonder, guys, why the save selection there by Matt Murray? Here comes goaltender coach Tyler here. Second string leather approved, I would hope, by my good buddy Joe Messina. Matt Murray goes down into what we call a reverse VH. A VH as a goaltender is when you have your, your let's say, my right side, your right leg up against the goal post while your left leg is laying flat across the ice. A reverse VH is when you are more or less in the butterfly with your right leg up against the right post down flat with your left leg kind of at a diagonal so you can kind of just stretch across if you have to make a cross crease save. Matt Murray has done this so many times because he loves the reverse VH. I like it too, but in certain situations, in close plays, wraparounds, in tight. Not when the guy is past the faceoff dot closer to the boards than the net. Because you leave so much room up top. No one's tall enough. Ben Bishop is probably the only guy that could do a reverse VH and cover the entire net, okay? That's how tall he is. The angle that Murray's at, I'm going to try to turn a little sideways here. He's kind of crunched down, and like you can see where the Gretzky banner is behind me. See where the bottom of the 99 is? When you look at that angle, there's a lot of room over this right shoulder, right? That's how much room Matt Murray was given up. Yes, credit is credit is due. Great shot by Jeff Petrie. Poor save selection by Matt Murray. He's done it time and time and again where he's given up bad goals like that. And obviously, he can't do that tomorrow, 4 o'clock Eastern time in game four. Because if he does that and Carey Price plays well again, by the way, Carey Price making 30 saves in the game yesterday, Pittsburgh could have a 12.5% chance to draft Alexi Lafreniere. Man, 2020 is a great year, which is what's going to lead us now into the last series of the night. 
the game that's going to start in a little over an hour now, an hour exactly, after we wrap up this show here on 12 Ounce Sports, the Kiel Show Quick Shift here. Leafs and Jackets, 8 seed versus 9 seed. The series is tied at 1. After game 1, where the Leafs just couldn't get any offense going, game 2, the Leafs come out and they say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take the puck, fire everything on goal, and get it back. And then shoot it again and get it back. Because that's literally what happened. The Leafs, I think, outshot them 39 to, what was it, 39 to 20? 39 to 20 were the shots in the game on Tuesday afternoon. Because it was a 4 o'clock game. I have to remind myself of that. Jonas Corposalo, I thought was honestly going to win the game for the Jackets by himself. Honestly. He had stopped 56 consecutive shots, guys. The Leafs outshot the Jackets. Ready for this? 15 to 6 in the first period. 14 to 6 in the second period. At one point, I think it was up until maybe the 35-minute mark of the game, the Jackets had less than 10 shots. They had a few in a, in a late flurry in the end of the second period. The Leafs, excuse me, I never thought we're just going to control the game like that because they were finding ways to get pucks to the goal. Now, were all these greatest scoring chances? No. Corpusalo did have to make some huge saves again. Huge saves and tight. Giant Tavares had, what, maybe 12 shot attempts in the game. Mitch Marner had a few shots on goal this time. The Leafs offensively, they were not getting the cleanest looks, but they were getting the puck to the net, which they didn't do a lot of in game one. So the fact they're able to turn that around in game two, make Corpusalo work, and it ended up paying off late in the second period. Austin Matthews, just a simple, just a simple little play. Give and go to Zach Hyman, Michigan boy. Maize and blue approved. I got Al Montoya up in his Michigan sweater and John, and Tom Brady right over there. Michigan boys. I have a Michigan football helmet over there. That's all I got right now, but I'll get some more later. Fanatics.com. Help me out here. Gives it to Hyman. Hyman looks and sees Austin driving the net. Let's go back to the, one of the best scorers on our team. Pass it back to him. And Matthews, just ramp the stick a little bit and beep. Just sail it right over the right shoulder. Finally, the Leafs break through in this series after what looked like maybe they were not going to be able to beat Corpusalo again. If Corpusalo gets another shutout, I'm telling you right now, guys, tonight wouldn't even be worth watching because the Leafs would probably have, I mean, let's be honest, if you can't, it just, it turns in your psyche. When you realize you can't beat a goaltender, it wears on you and you realize that, man, what are we trying all this for? But they're able to break through. Giant Tavares scores on a breakaway. Good for him to finally break his little schneid that he was on. And I say schneid because, well, he scored 40, was it 47 goals last year, 49 goals, almost 50 in 18-19. This year, not so much. Wasn't able to produce quite as much. Then again, he was hurt for a lot of it, had a broken hand. But obviously, the big story coming out of this game was Jake Muzzin. And we're just going to, I mean, we got about 10 minutes here. Let's go through the plates. A 2-0 game, Leafs are up. And Muzzin, after blocking a shot right before, gets cross-checked from behind by Pierre-Luc Dubois. Is it a cross-check? Yes. Is it a dangerous play? Yes. Is it the reason why Jake Muzzin is injured? No. Dubois knocks him down. Muzzin goes into the boards. Muzzin tries to get back up. Kind of hits a rut in the ice. If you watch it again, his left foot kind of gets caught, which kind of catapults this big lumberjack forward 
and his head goes right into, Ol- into Oliver Bork- Bjorkstrad, excuse me, Oliver Bjorkstrad, his knee, and Muzzin goes down and stays down. Now, we'll get to Mike Millerberry in a second. Thankfully, I didn't have to watch the NBC feed. I was able to watch the, the Sportsnet feed. I, it's, to all the people that were calling for Dubois' head, that play has happened 10,000 times. I have watched it personally myself. It's a play that is dangerous, albeit. Should it be a cross-checking minor? Yes. Had Muzzin gone head first after the cross-check by Dubois? Yes. Five game he's done for the playoffs. However, since Muzzin just kind of slid into the boards, bumped into the boards, and came off it, that's what makes it not Dubois' fault. I'm now we can't now we can't blame Bjorkstrad. He's just skating by and Muzzin just fell into his leg. And it was just a bang bang play, an awkward collision. There's no nothing anyone could have done differently. But oh, what if Dubois didn't hit him? Listen, it's hockey, it's the playoffs, you're trying to win a battle. You do a lot of things. Heck, like Minnesota and Vancouver. Just watch that game all over again. You tell me that half those guys in the regular there'd be probably a hundred penalty minutes in that game had it been the regular season. This is the playoffs. People are going to do stuff like that. It was a freak accident. Muzzin did go to the hospital. He had to get stretchered off the ice. And it was very eerie at Scotiabank Arena because no fans chattering. I mean, it gets pretty quiet when there's an injury and the stretcher comes out in a full building, let alone an empty building. It gets very quiet in this big arena. Very quiet, very eerie. He was responsive. He was able to move all of his limbs. They went out of the hospital, had to go outside the bubble. So it's good to hear that Jake Muzzin was okay. Now, quickly, Mike Milbury. Shut up. That's it. I'm not going to get into Mike Milbury anymore. If you want to know how I feel about NBC, a couple years ago, we did an angry August episode on NBC. Me pretty much knocking the National Broadcasting Corporation the coverage of hockey. Go back and listen to that. You'll know how I feel. I still feel the same way now. How this will affect the rest of the series, though, because Muzzin, he was, able, he was released from the hospital, but he's quarantined now in the hotel at the Royal York. And I, I forgot where I saw the, the Twitter account. Let me see if I can find it. I retweeted it not too long ago. Um, at Murr Out Loud, who is apparently kind of a big deal. At least that's what her, her profile says. A couple hours ago, tweeted that Jake Muzzin's wife and daughter stood outside the Royal York today with a sign for him, and that's just heart-wrenching. That sucks. Because as someone who is now married and eventually wants to have children, if I knew my wife and daughter were there to support me, but they couldn't because they couldn't enter the hotel, that would hurt. And I'm sure Muzzy probably talked to his wife and talked to his daughter and probably was letting him know, hey, I'm okay but it's good to know he's there. Obviously, his family supporting him. It just, that just hurts my soul to read that. Ugh. I appreciate you at Murr out loud for, for tweeting about that, but ugh. I, I feel awful. And, but that's, just, that's, the, what's, that's how the playoffs were going to go. Everyone understood what was going to happen. So how will this affect the rest of the series? How will this affect tonight? I don't know. I believe they're going with Marty Marinson. I think at least that's what I have, I'm assuming. Obviously, I've heard Rasmus Sandin could go as well. I haven't heard anything else. I've been trying to read everyone and anyone's tweets. So far, I haven't heard anything from Chris Johnston or Ellie Freeman or anything on who's going to play, but it's either going to be Sandin or Martin Marinson. 
I'm trying to go. Da, 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 da. Nothing yet right now. Hopefully we find out. Well, obviously we'll find out in an hour when the Jackets take the ice in game four against the Toronto Maple Leafs at the Scotiabank Arena. But losing a guy like Muzzin, that's going to be detrimental because now you have your defensive, your big tough guy on the back end. He's out of the lineup. You're going to have to have someone step in there, and there's not too many guys for the Toronto Maple Leafs that can do that. But we will see how that game goes on tonight. Uh, tonight, I'm my mind's going everywhere because I'm trying to figure out how to wrap this one up because we only got just less than five minutes. So how will the rest of the series go? Make sure you tweet us at the Kula Show. Use the hashtag TKS. Tell us what you think is going to happen in the last weekend of the qualifying round because Monday... When we go back live here at 6 o'clock here on 12 Ounce Sports for our usual two-and-a-half-hour episode, we'll be previewing round two and talking about who will have the first overall pick in the NHL entry draft. It may just be Montreal knocking off Pittsburgh, Chicago knocking off Edmonton, and it'll be a superstar team with a superstar talent. Coming up next here on 12 Ounce Sports, we're going to have the Profits, led by my man, Rev. He will be talking, and others will be talking about the NBA bubble action, along with some NFL news. Be sure to stay tuned for that coming at the top of the hour here on 12 Ounce Sports. I'm excited to see what's going to happen tonight. I hope, I mean, I mean, I hope the Leafs win. I mean, I don't think they will. I just feel like with the guy, losing a guy like Muzzin, that's just going to really hurt the team, um, both emotionally and in the lineup, I'm curious to see what's going to happen, though. Will, Flame, will the Flames get the job done tonight? Will the Leafs at least have an opportunity to win and close it out on Saturday? We'll see. Will we have a 12 seed? Will we have two 12 seeds win? Will we have Montreal and Chicago in the Stanley Cup Finals there in Edmonton? We will have to wait and see. Thank you very much, folks, once again, for tuning in to this episode of the QL Show, Quick Shift Edition. We'll be interested to see what happens when we come on Monday. Hopefully we get some guests in. I'll be interested to see who is still left, who is still standing, who will be the top seed coming out of the round robins. I am going to be intrigued for sure, and I'm just checking. And the final score, Flyers win 3-1 to one in their game against Washington. And any more scores? Did St. Louis? Yep, St. Louis is up on Vegas now, one nothing early in the first period. But that is it. I should wrap this up because I want to get all my stuff ready before the game tonight because I want to crack open a beer, watch some hockey, yell and scream because the wife's at work, so I have this entire apartment to myself. So with that, I will be signing off. Tyler Kuehl saying thank you once again for watching this episode of The Kuehl Show. We'll be back Monday night, 6 o'clock here on 12 Ounce Sports. Stay tuned for The Profits. They'll be coming up live shortly after this. And thank you all once again. We'll see you Monday here on The Kuehl Show. Money more.